Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I am live at Microsoft Build. We're doing a JavaScript Jabber series here and we're talking to Colby Tresness. Did I say that right? You did. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, you spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash jsjabber. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right. Uh, he's from Microsoft. He is the program manager. Is that what you said? Yeah. Project, so project manager, program manager. I call myself a product manager, but my title is program manager. So. Okay. <laughs> and you work on Azure Azure functions, which are the serverless functions on Azure. Yeah. So uh, folks who are familiar with that kind of thing, I think most people are. You know, you've seen them on some, uh, I think IBM offers something like it. I think... Amazon offers something like it, you know. So, so yeah, it's it's a pretty common pattern. It is. I'm happy to introduce for those who aren't, though. Uh, serverless functions is a... Well, I, I should introduce it as two separate things, serverless and then functions. So okay. serverless is kind of the uh, the hosting model of uh, you not having to worry about the scale of your application at all. Right. So it's a couple different components. It's basically you worry just about what... Um, well, for functions in particular, you worry about just the application code that you're writing. Uh, we will handle all of the infrastructure for you. You right. give us an event. Um, you give us a little code, and then we handle everything else. So the last bit that's really cool is that we bill you based on what you execute and what mm -hmm. you are actually consuming, which means that unless you have a really kind of high high throughput uh, application that's kind of always on, you're most likely saving money by using serverless. Right, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so essentially the idea is, is that you write a JavaScript function, mm -hmm. you set up some kind of endpoint that is called programmatically, uh, typically, what I see is HTTP, but uh, I'm aware that there are other, other ways of doing it. Yeah, and we see most of our JavaScript workloads are HTTP triggered, but we mm -hmm. can also trigger from other services like um, Azure Blob Storage. So if you drop something into storage or if you were to, I don't know, throw something onto a queue, we can read messages off of a right. queue as well. Things like that. Right. And then whatever you have in that function gets executed. Mm -hmm. And the the other thing that it, that I typically see is, and I'm just trying to get all this out of the way so that we can talk about you know Definitely. what's coming right, um, is that in a lot of these clouds, so AWS has Lambda, mm -hmm. um, you know Azure has Azure Functions, and so what happens is you have this really nice integration with all of the other functionality that exists in Azure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and th and that's one of the that's one of the things that we really uh, we really think we do well. One of our actual differences is that uh, functions has this notion of bindings. Uh -huh. So um, other other serverless um, well, serverless functions as a service is the the most precise term, I guess. Uh, other other services typically just have that trigger in the uh, the code itself. Right. Uh, functions, uh, Azure Functions specifically offers a uh, an ability to kind of have inputs and outputs for your code as well. So this is a uh, rather than having to write some like boilerplate um, negotiation with an SDK right. or going to grab data, going to you know send it down to a database or whatever mm -hmm. you do after you're concluded you with your kind of small bit of work, uh, we'll kind of handle that config, handle that um, handle that for you. 
essentially. So uh, we we do have very nice integrations with a lot of the other Azure services, like Cosmos DB is really popular right. with Node developers, um, Blob Storage, like I mentioned, queues, event hubs, etc. Right. So so let's dive in a little bit on the JavaScript end of things. Um, what what version of Node are you running, or what no version of Node can I run? Yeah, so we support uh, Node 6, 8, and 10. So we, in, in Azure Functions V1, which was actually the uh, the version up until about a year ago that was mm -hmm. the only one supported, uh, we were actually pegged at Node 6 based on an architecture um, constraint that we had. Right. Uh, we did do a lot of work to move past that, obviously, because mm -hmm. Node 6 is uh, what uh, end of life has of... Soon. Couple, I think, it, yeah, it might have been a couple days or ago. Anyway, yeah. um, anyway, we, we obviously wanted to modernize. We obviously wanted right. to enable the Node Node 8 and Node 10 for all of our customers. So we uh, did a pretty big re-architecture that concluded with the general availability of functions V2, which was uh, pretty much a year, maybe a year and a half ago, something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, and with that, we now support uh, Node 8 and Node 10 as well. And for because of that architecture uh, rework, we're now any real version for the future we can update to. So as soon as Node 12 goes LTS, we'll be ready to snap to that as well. Nice. And th that should also be coming pretty soon, shouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely definitely in the roadmap. <laughs> nice. One other thing that I'm wondering about, and this is something that I've run into with my experience with serverless functions as a service, as you put it, is getting NPM packages installed yeah. so that I can do what I want to do inside of my serverless mm -hmm. functions. So how does Azure Functions manage that piece of things? Because it does significantly increase the size of your, yeah. I, I don't know what to call it, container, cluster? Yeah, it's, it's uh, the, I would just say the package that you're deploying. Right. Um, so it's, it's, well, that actually kind of leads into my next answer. There, there are two different things that I would, I would say here. The question of kind of how do I get my dependencies onto Azure is, mm -hmm. is one of, there are basically two separate answers. One of them is you do the dependency resolution on your client side before actually deploying that uh, to Azure, uh, which is fine for small applications for things that you're doing yourself. But if you have, say, a CI/CD pipeline, then it gets a little more complicated. You don't want right. to you know, check in your NPM tree to GitHub. That would, that would be bad. Uh, so what we do offer is a couple different ways to uh, do server-side builds. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, it's server-side dependency resolution for Node. For our other languages, it's a server-side right. build. The core idea here is that we have a really uh, nice integration that we actually just released with Azure Pipelines. Um, so that's the uh, Azure DevOps' uh, mm -hmm. specific build server. So we have templates for Azure Functions, which will just do an NPM install, do an NPM run build, do um, kind of all of your, gotcha. all of the things that you would need to get those get those dependencies up into your cloud application as well. We also, uh, with a lot of our deployment techniques, do just a simple NPM install by default mm -hmm. if you have just a package JSON that we need to resolve. So uh, that's that's one part of the answer. The next thing I want to say, though, is how you can actually um, manage the size of that. Um, so with some of these templates that we've started releasing, we do we we will we'll prune your NPM tree, which mm -hmm. you know makes sense. Right. Uh, but we we also have another thing that uh, is, I guess, m slightly more advanced. But I'll mention it here just because I think it's really cool. Uh, we have this this piece of technology called uh, run from package, which essentially basically the way this works is you deploy a zip file with mm -hmm. all of your application uh, code. So this is this is actually compatible with the the Azure Pipelines integration that I mentioned before. Right. Um, you deploy your package, and then it gets to Azure, and then we'll actually um, mount that 
file system directly from the zip file, so you don't actually have to do I/O with thousands of npm file or with the thousands of oh, files that are referenced in your npm tree. You have to do one file I/O operation for mm -hmm. that zip file itself, and then we mount it entirely in memory. So it's okay. a it's a it's a really cool uh, really cool piece of tech that we released fairly recently. It should be the default for most of our like deployment techniques mm -hmm. as well. Uh, one of the actual uh, strengths of Azure Functions, I think, relative to the competition, is our local development experience because this is Microsoft. We have Visual Studio. We have Visual Studio mm -hmm. Code. Uh, we have some really great uh, tooling there as well. So if you're if you're uh, using using Visual Studio Code, uh, we advise we've got a uh, an Azure Functions extension. Um, super easy to install. Just go to the extensions tab and search Azure Functions, and then from there you can actually go and do all your local development, deploy, and that'll take advantage of the latest features like this run from package I just mentioned. Right, and it's interesting you bring up the Visual Studio Code extension because that's generally what I've used to play with Azure Functions yeah. some, and it makes it really easy to build them, to test them, mm -hmm. to do the whole nine yards, and then to deploy them. Yeah. And when I try doing it with, I, I won't name competitors, but I've tried doing it with another system, and the easiest way for me to do it was to do a, use the serverless package. Yep. And it essentially did what you talked about, where it zipped mm -hmm. it up, and then it reinflated it on their storage system, and then did some black magic to get it into the... The yes. function system and 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 that was I was like I don't know what it did but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. We do we a lot of our competitors, um, a lot of the uh, folks that use AWS Lambda mm -hmm. use serverless to uh, right. deploy their code and to kind of do that lifecycle management. Uh, one of the things that we actually handle for you is that outer loop development as well. So yeah, we do have an integration with the serverless framework. Uh, we don't see that many people using it just because it's not as necessary because we have uh, mm -hmm. kind of out-of-the-box tooling that right. that supports Azure Functions natively, I'd say. so. Makes sense. So, uh, yeah, do you have some features coming in oh, Azure Functions? Sure. It's always interesting to see what's coming and what, you know, what yeah, will be available absolutely. soon. Hmm, what, should I, what should I bring up? Well, I, I think I should probably first start with our uh, the announcements that we made at Build. Um, so we have a couple things that are just recently released that are either preview or, or mm -hmm. fully, fully fledged. One of them is this uh, project Kata, which is actually kind of cool. It's a uh, so Azure Functions. I should I should I should do a little bit of background first. So Functions <laughs> actually is uh, supported. So, so Functions itself is kind of a, a kind of an amalgamation of a couple different products. To be honest, it's the serverless hosting model, which I mentioned before, uh, mm -hmm. and the functions as a service piece. So it's right. the event-driven programming model. And the hosting model um, is the serverless. It's the, the fact that you're scaling dynamically. But that's not the only way you can host Azure Functions. So you can actually also host functions in this uh, dedicated mode as well. And what that means is that you actually pay for dedicated infrastructure. And with that, you get no uh, no cold starts. No, right. No, um, okay. Yeah, so your application is always warm. You you do not get uh, the serverless scale on top of that, however. Um, so with this, uh, there actually and just to be clear, yeah, you sure. know, the, so the cold starts are you're only paying for what you use, mm -hmm. and so it's got to rehydrate something before it can actually respond to an event. Precisely, if nothing's hit it for a while. Precisely, we do keep yeah we keep a pool of warm um, warm workers that keep the Azure Functions host running, mm -hmm. uh, but we do need to specialize your code directly right. onto that machine. Right. Yeah. And so if you dedicate some infrastructure to it, yes. then it's consistently ready to answer those. Precisely. Yeah. So there are actually there are actually two announcements that I wanna I wanna um, talk about from from this nice intro. The the first is actually uh, I'll skip Kata right now and go to the Azure Functions premium plan. Um, so we can return to this a bit later, but the, the core idea here is prior to build, prior to this 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 time, 
uh, we were you were allowed to run functions in one of two ways: the consumption mm -hmm. plan, which is serverless, or the dedicated plan, which has no scale at all. Right. You can configure scaling rules, but it's up to you to manage it entirely yourself. Mm -hmm. So the premium plan gives you kind of the best of both worlds. You reserve one dedicated in instance. You pay for one instance to kind of always be there, right. uh, and then we'll scale dynamically on top of that. Which means that you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get um, because we are always keeping something warm. We always have your code loaded. We mm -hmm. always are available uh, for you to run uh, and then so you, you don't have to worry about cold start but on right. top of that you get uh, the dynamics scale that you would get with other serverless stuff right. so the other parts of the premium plan that i should mention is that it's also running on better hardware mm -hmm. uh, and it's also running um, it, it has some more advanced networking features as well so that's slightly more expensive so it might not be the first place people go but it's a nice nice option if you if you know you need it right <laughs> then then it's good to be there so that, that's, that's the premium plan. That's one thing that we announced recently. The other thing that I want to kind of get to is this Kata thing, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, this, was a, this was a project that we worked on with Red Hat. Okay. Uh, and it's actually to enable the serverless scaling behavior in Kubernetes for Azure Functions. Oh, nice. So you can actually run functions um, with Kata. Kata is essentially mimicking a component that we have internally on our infrastructure called the scale mm -hmm. controller. So it basically says um, you can have knowledge of event sources like uh, this queue in Azure, or um, uh, it, it will be enabling more and more as we as we go. Uh, but the the idea is you can actually, from Kubernetes, peak the length of whatever queue that you're connected to, peak the length of um, an event hub or, or whatever you're using. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, you can actually allocate the number of uh, workers in your Kubernetes cluster um, okay. to functions. So you can actually use the same functions programming model from inside a Kubernetes cluster, which I think is super cool. That is cool. Yeah, so those are those are a couple things that are coming. Um, what else? Bunch of different things. Um, depends just w what I want to get into. Uh, the other cool thing that I would say that w we recently released that I think is pretty relevant to JavaScript developers all across, uh, across the scale of things, not just Azure Functions users, I would say is this uh, Azure Serverless Community Library that we have. Uh -huh. um, this is something that we have had for quite a quite quite a bit of time, but we have uh, recently released a set of uh, UI improvements and also like ad added some more functionality to this. So the idea is, uh, it's a set of uh, it's a gallery of open source samples that people have built using. Um, serverless on Azure. Right. So it's uh, basically just a repository of a bunch of GitHub repos that people have built and contributed. Uh, and you can kind of go through, look at what other people have done with serverless functions, what other people have done with even other serverless products like Azure Logic Apps is one example. And yeah, just from this, from the central place, you can go search, learn more about serverless, learn more about what people are doing with functions and go from there. Right. That makes sense. And, and I love the idea of basically having not just the small pieces that I can put together my own serverless functions mm -hmm. from, but also being able to go and look and see, yeah, you know, what, what problems people are solving with serverless. Precisely. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, though. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious, too. I've talked to a number of people, and they look at serverless, and a lot of concern is around security, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because if I put a serverless out, function out there, I put an HTTP endpoint on the front of it, and then it's talking to Cosmos DB or something or else in the back end. I don't want somebody else coming in and hitting that and filling stuff up with junk. So... How do I secure that so that nobody else will hit it? Yeah, so so one of the cool parts about Azure Functions is that uh, at least the the current offering is built mostly on top of 
uh, another Azure product called uh, Azure App Service, mm -hmm. which means that we get for free a lot of really nice uh, features, including some security settings as well. So first of all, um, functions are, you can configure keys to enable access to functions. So for instance, you can, for, for an HTTP triggered function like one that you're mentioning, mm -hmm. you can pretty easily restrict access to that function to only um, folks calling that with the correct key. Right, but if I if I have all of my code on the front end, mm -hmm. I'm not running a back end, then that key has to be somewhere on the front end in order for it to hit it, correct? Uh, yes, so that's fair point. <laughs> so it doesn't actually have to be on the front end, the, okay. the API call, right? So you can actually that's be making true. you can actually be making a call to that endpoint from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't advise using specifically the keys to fair navigate to a function right. via that. But I would, I, I would, I would just call out that there are some features that we have on top of, um, on top of just allowing like mm -hmm. uh, specifying keys for your functions. So there are things like configuring um, core settings. Uh, I think is super important. Um, we have different things like uh, enabling securely your uh, secrets. So if you don't want your code. Um, if you don't want uh, to worry about uh, managing of your secrets yourself, you can actually go and put those in Azure Key Vault, and right. we can, uh, you know, uh, just actually grab those at runtime by just providing the connection string to the Key Vault itself. Right. But yeah, I, so I would say that a whole swath of features around security around Azure Functions, mm -hmm. specifically around the concern of hitting um, functions from your front end, I would say that it, it's a it's a pretty common pattern to use something like API management or some other um, kind of layer in between mm -hmm. uh, the function endpoint and yeah. your front end. I've, he I've heard about those. One other thing that just occurred to me just now was that um, Azure does provide some kind of authentication system as well, right? For my yeah. web apps. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you, so you, can, you get that I with functions use, I as could well. use that, right, on the functions absolutely. and say, if they're authenticated, then they can access this data mm -hmm. and then set up my serverless functions to do we that. We call it easy auth. It's a, it's a really, really easy. It's you, you literally, you click a button in your... Azure portal or mm -hmm. whatever and say enable easy auth and then you have a fully functional auth working on your website wow, or that in, front of nice. your, in front of your endpoint. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super, super convenient. Very cool. So going back to your, um, I guess, directory of different types of serverless functions mm -hmm. that people are using, what seem to be the most popular use cases for it? Specifically for JavaScript customers, the majority of things that we're seeing are HTTP endpoints. Uh -huh. A lot of people use serverless APIs. Um, I think that that's a really, really good use case and something that I kind of encourage people to do well, all the when time. When you say serverless APIs, what do you mean? I mean a couple of things. The scenario I like to point to is something like a single-page application mm -hmm. where you might not necessarily have really complicated server-side logic that you need to, say, run with a typical node server. Right. Um, you, don't need to, you don't need an express app. You just need a couple endpoints that are serving right. state or a couple endpoints that are making some sort of decision that you don't want to do on the front end, maybe some right. secrets or something that needs to be processed. And that's a, that's a really common use case and something that I think we, we do pretty well. So if you have, um, this is actually something that we, we, we see people doing pretty frequently now is having um, like a single page application, just like a mm -hmm. React or Angular app or something right. in, uh, hosted by Azure Storage, and then have kind of this two-tier application with all of your um, APIs done with serverless functions. Right. It's a pretty slick slick architecture, and uh, I'm seeing more and more people do it. That being said, there are other things that people can do with functions as well. So a lot of people do some data processing tasks. Right. So things like, you know, moving data from here to there, moving, uh, doing some small manipulation. Maybe maybe um, API A requires mm -hmm. 
data in some form and we need to pass it on to some right. other part of our system, which requires right. our JSON to be slightly different or right. something There's like some that. Right, there's some format yeah. translation or Everyone's something. Everyone's always yeah. had those. Um, those <laughs> we'll are, those, get away those from are that. common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so we see a lot of that as well. And then uh, really just anything that has to do with events, I think right. it's a good um, fit for serverless. So we'll, we'll, we'll certainly see more and more interesting architectures come up as things right. go. I think IoT is another cool one. Uh, we don't see as many people doing it just yet, but I think we're, we're we'll seeing more and more. I'm yeah. confident of that. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, so it sounds like this is something that I could use to actually just build my own app without having any kind of a back end. You yeah, know, provided absolutely. that things are reasonably straightforward. So yeah, right? and, and and that's a that's a really good point. And you really can get started building a serverless app without any other mm-hmm. any other really prerequisites or anything. But the one thing I would say is that it's not just restricted to that. I think it's a really good way to extend existing applications too. Like let's say I've got a, let's say I've got an an, uh, API that's already up and running. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to touch it because it's just sitting there, but I want to add maybe just one endpoint or two. Rather than going in and digging into my server code, redeploying everything, figuring everything out, I'll leave that system as it is. I'll build one or two other serverless functions that uh, can be deployed separately, just these small little bits of code that react to whatever things I need. And then um, I can deploy those. And the cool thing that I get about that is that now those scale dynamically too. So right. you get the all the benefits of serverless with the with the fact that it's kind of this small unit of deployment, this small unit of um, this small unit of code that you're using to um, manage your applications. Right. I think one example, and this is something that I'm working on. I've been working on a system that manages podcasts. Hmm. And the part that I want to add on at this point is basically media tracking, right? So mm-hmm. when people download, I need to be able to track the download. Makes sense. You know, and then I need to be able to go through and deduplicate, you know, right? So mm-hmm. if your phone hits the same endpoint twice, I only want to count you once, right? Sure. And so it, it looks like something that I could do and I could set things up so that I could have just an endpoint that essentially takes the request, puts it onto a queue, and then forwards them on to wherever the media is hosted. Sure. And then I can have some other serverless function that picks it up off the queue and then Absolutely. does all the data munging and right. And so it's, okay, well, we think they're on the West Coast of the U.S. and we think that they're, you know, they're, they're on an iPhone and, you know, that kind of stuff and, and figure all that stuff out on the back end. And I could do both of those with the serverless yeah, function. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a perfectly good use case. Right. But then I don't have to extend the exactly. API of my current app that allows yeah, exactly. them to manage all the the data and things around. Here's the podcast metadata. Here's the episode metadata. Here are all the yeah, precisely. And that's and that's why when people ask me like that's a common question I get like, hey, why this sounds really cool? Why do I well, 
when should I use this? When's the when's the when's the time to do that? I I, I wouldn't necessarily say go rewrite your app in serverless. Although if you need to right. rewrite your app, it's a good way to do it because it is kind of an architecture shift. It moves towards mm-hmm. this this event driven architecture where you're worrying about how the 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 events are flowing in your application rather than more of a classical like you know client server architecture or something. Right. What you hit on was exactly right. It's 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 extending existing applications. It's building kind of new pieces of functionality on, or it's also um, kind of greenfield new applications. Right. Is what I would say. Yeah. The only other thing that I wonder about, and and I I, I kind of go back and forth on this, but if it does need to access data from my main app. Mm, yeah. That's an interesting question. You can actually hook it up to the same database. It, it depends a lot on how mm-hmm. your your initial right. app is actually architected. It would be tough to go and get something that's computed on that actual server of whatever application you're already running. But there, there's no reason you couldn't hook it up to the same database and then right. get specifically some parts of it that you need. Mm-hmm. That would just be a matter of configuration and setting right. it up correctly. But but if I'm not on Cosmos DB on Azure, then it might be an end run to another server. Yeah, but um, I mean, because you can still, you can do anything in functions that you can express in code. So if you use... Right, so I can some, HC, HTTP yeah. call or a remote... You know, I have database credentials yes. stored as secrets in yes. my Azure Secret Store. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what you called it. Key Vault. Key Vault. There you go. And yeah, and so then it just, you know, it says, oh, Postgres or oh, Mongo or mm-hmm. whatever out there in the cloud in the on the internet somewhere. Yep. Very cool. In, in some ways, it feels so simple. Yeah. And then it, on the other hand, it's like, but you can do all these things with it. And so it gets, it feels complicated too. Does yeah. that make sense? And it's, it's super fair. And that's, that's, we, we got a lot of people saying the same thing. It's like super easy to get started. You see what's going on and you're like, oh, there are so many possibilities. What do I actually do with this? And this right. is why we're, we're building things like the uh, serverless library mm-hmm. um, because it, it really does uh, resonate with people a lot more once they see a couple things that people have built with serverless, a couple applications that right. make sense. And then once once you see a couple workloads that you can do like this, you say, hmm, maybe I can use serverless here. Maybe I can use serverless right. functions here. It's it's uh, It kind of snowballs from there. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, we have people who are just using it constantly. So, yeah. So two more questions then. Sure. Um, one is, so I want to set up, let's say that I decide to go with Azure Functions for my, you know, for my traffic tracking, like I was talking about. Is there a way to set that up so that it's, you know, like... Um, subdomain.domain.com mm-hmm. for me. So you're saying specifically you want a particular route to... Yeah, I want a specific... Uh, can I set up like a C name in my DNS to point back to serverless functions? Yeah, so so the what, what I would say here is that... Um, so I mentioned API management before. There's a consumption tier of API management that's kind of like the serverless... Um, the serverless tier, which would let you do kind of some more complicated things like... Um, mapping specific functions to specific mm-hmm. um, API endpoints. We do have a feature built into Azure Functions called Azure Functions Proxies, which is just a pretty simple reverse proxy that lets you you know, specify that when you hit this endpoint, actually run this. Right. Um, so it, you can do things like that with proxies and API management. I'd have to know a little more about the exact thing you're trying to do to Fair say enough. whether that's particularly the thing that'll work for you. But um, in general, yes, you can... Uh, you can use things like API management and proxies to manipulate what actual endpoints you're hitting in your application. And then if you have other features like, you know, res- you have, if you've reserved the domain, and then you can kind of layer all of these things together to build whatever right. API you want. And then the other question I have is, I mean, I've played with Azure Functions a little bit, but I'm not a heavy user. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't actually put any production code on it yet. And so if, if somebody wanted to get started... yeah. Is, is there a good way to get started? Because so, just, just to give you some context, I've signed up for Azure. Mm-hmm. 
I logged in and I got kind of the big Azure portal. Yep. And it's a little bit intimidating. It is. And what I would say to anyone, particularly JavaScript developers, because I know it's super popular, use VS Code. The extension is really good. You actually don't even need an Azure account. So the fact that you have one is great. It means you can deploy super easily. But even mm -hmm. without an Azure account, you just download the Azure Functions extension. It takes like 10 seconds. And then uh, as soon as that's done, you can go and click on the little Azure A and the, the, mm -hmm. um, well, the Azure logo, which looks like an A in the, in the left tab. And then uh, from there, you can just create a function app. You can see it run locally on your machine. And the cool part is that what's running locally on your machine is actually the same runtime right. that I mentioned before. It's, it's fully open source and it's also uh, the same exact runtime that's running in Azure. So when you're, when you're running locally, it's the same environment, which gets rid of a whole class of issues of, you know, Oh, it works mm -hmm. on my machine. But <laughs> that's always fun. Yes. If I had to, Say one thing to everyone, try it out in VS Code. It's a really great experience. And uh, it's really easy from there to then deploy to Azure to kind of progress however right. you'd like. And at that point, when you deploy to Azure, that's when you need the Azure account. Yes, that's when you need the Azure account. They need to know how you to build your locally folks. on your machine, precisely. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you don't want Azure, you uh, if you don't want Azure, you can also run Azure Functions locally. Mm -hmm. And again, since the runtime is open source, you can theoretically run it wherever you want. Yeah, I'm actually speaking at an Angular conference in August. August, August, yeah, the beginning of August, Angular nice. Denver, and uh, they they told me that I could give my thirty minute talk in ten minutes, and it's Angular on serverless, so nice. I have to boil it way down. Talk and to I, John Papa. <laughs> I know John very well, but um, yeah, it just it kind of occurred to me while I was dealing with this that it was like, oh well, I can just run it locally on VS Code, yeah. and it's like, hey, look, you know, this is how the serverless would work, yes. and then I don't have the because for me, the demo demons seem to come into effect once you're once I'm going out on the yeah. internet, and so no, there's only so much that can go wrong if you press F5 and then run everything yep. locally, and then uh, it, it's cool. But the, the 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 other really cool part is that if you do actually have it hooked up to Azure resources, um, you can actually debug locally with resources that you have up in the cloud. So like, right. let's say I have I've got my function app configured on. Oh, no, that makes sense. To, to trigger off of like mm -hmm. a queue or something in Azure, it'll start actually pulling data from that queue and, and, and running it locally, which is which is pretty cool. That is cool. Well, is there anything any or anything else that people need to know in order to be productive with Azure Functions? Or no, I mean the 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 whole point is that you don't need that much, right? The right. no, the what I would say is that give it a try. It's really easy to get started. I would say functions and serverless in general is the very tip of the scale of productivity versus control. I like to think when you're building cloud applications, it's it's ultimately a trade-off. There are services all the way down to VMs where you have mm -hmm. super granular control over everything. You're in charge of security updates. You're in charge of literally everything versus the very opposite end of the spectrum is functions and is serverless where you, you forfeit a little bit of that control because we're managing all of the, uh, we as right. the platform, uh, we as the infrastructure provider are managing a lot of that for you. But but you get a lot of uh, benefits such as uh, increased productivity, increased time to market, or, well, decreased time to market, increased uh, productivity. Right. So what I would say is that you don't really need anything to get started with Azure Functions if you know any um, programming language at all, even if it's uh, not JavaScript, you can get started with Functions. Mm -hmm. What non-JavaScript languages do you support? Yeah, so right now we have... Uh, three generally available runtimes. Um, so fully supported out of the box is uh, everything.net, Java, and Node. So that's JavaScript and TypeScript. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the other thing I forgot to mention. We have a really cool set of TypeScript tooling as well. So you right. can actually just, uh, it's it's ultimately running Node, but uh, of course, but of course, but we've got a nice, nice set of uh, tooling that lets you run TypeScript out of the box. And we have an Azure Functions types package that lets you see 
what's actually inside the shape of an Azure function object. Um, but anyway, I was, I, was, I was going on about languages. The other two that we released recently are uh, PowerShell, is something that we released uh, last week. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Python has been in preview for a little while now, and we're pushing towards generally available uh, later in the year. Right. Yeah. So that that's it right now in terms of languages. Um, Do we expect to see other languages eventually show yeah, up? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the next one that's probably on the radar is Go. We have no concrete plans right now for right. timing or anything because you know I can't commit to. Fair enough. No, no promises. They're looking at Go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then and then ultimately it's after that we'll. Uh, We'll evaluate what people ask for. What's uh, what's the I guess one guess the next one on the on the list. But right. we're focusing a lot right now on making sure the existing languages that we support are um, fully supported. So, mm -hmm. like I said, we have two languages in preview. So before we before we start enabling anything else, we'll we'll focus on getting those out fully. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I would rather have a terrific experience on a language that I'm not as familiar with than have a poor experience there because you're trying to support everybody. So. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, good with that. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc., VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. Now, one thing that we do on our shows mm -hmm. is what we call picks. And they're essentially just shout-outs about stuff that you're liking or enjoying. So it could be TV shows. It could be a particular coding tool. It could be uh, a book. It could be anything in between. So are there one or two things that you just want to shout-out about that you think people ought to know about because it's cool and it'll make your life better? Mm, that is a great question. Uh, Game of Thrones is too mainstream, so I can't, I can't <laughs> do Game of Thrones. Although controversial episode last night. Anyway... I haven't watched it, so... I won't say anything. <laughs> anyway, what are some tools that I'm loving right now? I've already pitched VS Code enough, so I can't, right. I can't really go with that. Kind of hoping that I get to talk to them this time around. Yeah. It seems like we get to talk to them at one or the other of the conferences. Yeah, they're, so. they're, they're super, super nice folks, too. So, yep. so definitely, definitely get started there. Now, what, what have I been liking lately? Hmm. I've been watching a couple other TV shows as well that I think mm -hmm. might, be, might be fun. Uh, if you've ever... Uh, it's a little dark, but Barry is fantastic. I don't know if I've even heard of it. So it's it's Bill Hader, who's famous from SNL. He's the the guy uh -huh. who did the Stefan sketches and all of the. Uh, he's also the main actor in Trainwreck, the movie about LeBron James and uh, the random guy as a uh, um, Amy Schumer. Anyway, the the premise of this show is it's a it's an assassin who decides that he wants to quit the life of being an assassin okay. and become an actor. Uh -huh. So it is kind of this really weird, dark comedy about um, <laughs> this assassin who's like trying to quit the life, but he gets keeps, keeps getting sucked back into being an assassin, but really he wants to right. follow his passion, which is acting. So uh, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's season two um, is going on right now. It's uh, also on HBO. So HBO. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I have been spending a bunch of time playing Breath of the Wild. That's oh, the love it. It's fantastic. The Switch Zelda game. I know it's old news, folks, <laughs> but uh, I finally got around to. I've been traveling a bunch, and so when I'm stuck on the airplane, 
the tray tables are just too small for my laptop. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of nice to just plug in and play. Really, really been enjoying that. Um, another one that I've been enjoying is a podcast called the MFCEO Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a clean rating, so I'm not going to... But MF is mother effing CEO. And yeah, he just he just gets in and just tells it how it is, Makes honestly. Sense. But he runs a supplement company. He's based out of St. Louis. And uh, I think cool. I think you know they're a $200 million business or something. But he just gets in and he's like, if you want to succeed, here's what you've got to do. Interesting. And it's, it's really terrific just from the sense of... He's like, look, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to, be, you know, I'm going to be direct about this stuff. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And a lot of times, and I think we're going to see more this way too, just in content, is that people want something that is authentic, mm-hmm. right? You get people out there, they're doing a show, yeah, um, makes sense. you know, and and they either pull back in certain areas or they're just not. And you know, yeah, he doesn't tell you about everything that's going on in his life, but when when he's talking about this stuff, you can tell that he really believes it and that mm-hmm. he really cares. And uh, yeah, I think more and more we're going to be heading to a place where people are looking for that kind of authentic content. And so, if you're looking to do a startup or just be a better employee or anything like that, and it doesn't bother you that he drops a bunch of f bombs <laughs> in the middle of it, then uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So I'm going to shout out about that. And then finally, um, I, I shouldn't blow my whole. Uh, list of picks because I have four more or three more of these to do uh, during the conference, but um, I just enjoy walking around downtown Seattle. It's it's kind of a cool fun. place. Yeah, I've been here a few times, but yeah, it's it's always fun to just kind of wander through and see what's going on and see what people are, uh, you know, see what restaurants are out there and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to shout out about that too. If you ever wind up in uh, Seattle, it is pretty walkable. There are some hills, but. They're not start start at the top of the hill and then it's great. That's right until you have to go back. Yeah, yeah but just yeah, Uber. <laughs> yeah. I've I've Lift. been to San Francisco a couple times this year too, and th- those hills are pretty brutal. Yes, um, definitely. Se- Seattle's don't seem to be as bad in most no, places. No, they're not so. quite as bad. It is really pretty. I I always love it when I get down here. I live uh, just up the hill um, that uh-huh. way, but it's 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 a really nice really nice place to walk around. Yeah, very cool. And then of course I want to shout out and say thanks to Richard Campbell from .NET Rocks for setting this all up. All right, folks, we'll uh, go ahead and wrap up and we will uh, come back at you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.